Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Are you ready for the word? Someone say yes. All right, we are in week four of a series that we are calling, Are We There Yet? And if you're joining us for the first time today, I will briefly catch you up to speed. Uh, During this series, we have been tapping into the familiar frustration of delay in the journey of faith. Um, I know this to be true of my own life, and I would assume it to be true of many of us here, that there are times in our journey of faith where we begin to look at our progress and feel as though there has been some delay. We feel like there's some things that we probably should have accomplished by now, or some mindsets that we should have abandoned by now, or fears that we should have gotten over by now, or disciplines that should be developed in our lives. And sometimes we can feel like we've been delayed in the process of faith. I know that for myself, yes, I feel delayed. I am grateful that there are things that have taken place in my past. I'm grateful that I am where I am. As the preacher said, I'm grateful that I'm not where I used to be. (laughs) But I also am keenly aware of the fact that I'm not where I want to be sometimes in this journey of faith. And I think we all feel that from time to time. And so during this series, we've been posing a question each and every week and filling in a blank that looks something like this. Why am I not there yet? What is it that I'm doing or not doing that is keeping me from stepping into what God has for my future? This this theme that we have for 2023 as a church, every promise. What is it that's keeping me from stepping into God's promises for my life? If he's made me all of these incredible promises in his word, why am I not seeing some of them manifest yet? And as we've reminded ourselves of each week, I'll do it again today, sometimes the delay is a God thing. It's a God timing thing. It's a divine delay. Uh, There are things that God wants to see developed in our life, and he knows that if he prematurely allows us to step into that place of influence or that place of opportunity or that promise, that it would crush us. And so he allows us some space to develop before we step into that thing. Go back and read through the Old Testament. You'll see that uh, King David was anointed king at 16 years old, and it wasn't until he was 30, 14 years later, that he stepped into that call. Joseph has a a God dream at 17, and then 13 years later, he actually sees the fulfillment of that dream come to pass. And so God may have spoken something to you a long time ago or or told you about a promise he's made to you and you haven't seen it yet, but don't, don't get weary in doing good. A time will come where you'll step into that. Allow yourself to be developed in that process. However, as we've also reminded ourselves of each week, often that delay is not divine. It's not a God thing. Often the purpose for delay is that we've been unfaithful or unwilling to do the things in Scripture that God has asked us to do so that we can step into everything that he has for our lives. We've called it a, a prerequisite principle. It's written throughout Scripture like this. If you do this, then God will do this in your life. And often we have neglected the if you part of the equation. So each week during this series, we've considered that principle and tried to answer some of the big questions as it pertains to delay in the life of a believer. Uh, Questions like, why am I not free yet? Or why am I not fulfilled yet? Uh, Last week, Robin uh, discussed, why am I not growing yet? And it was an amazing word. And uh, if you didn't miss it, if you missed it because you were um, bowing down to the idols of football, uh, you can go back and listen to it on our podcast. Or you, you saw how that worked out for you. You were watching football and your team lost, man. Come to church next time. We'll just see what happens. I'm just throwing that out there. Exactly. I'm telling you, Mondo, come on, bro. I'm busting you out. That's my bad. I love you. <laughs> 
What was I saying? Uh, today, we're going to move into yet another one. And uh, I, I'm aware of the fact as we begin the discussion about this subject that I'm going to be navigating through some tumultuous waters, some theological landmines today uh, with this subject. But I know it's a question that I've had, and I know it's a question that many of us have had, and maybe some are asking right now. So, so bear with me as we, as we tackle, football pun intended, uh, this subject. Today, we're going to be answering this question. Why am I not prospering yet? Why am I not prospering yet? And I know that depending on your theological background, that word might cause some to celebrate and others to cringe when they hear it. People think, oh, we're talking about prosperity today. And rightfully so. There's been a lot of bad teaching around prosperity. It's been mystified and abused and misapplied. But it is a Bible word. It's a word that we see all throughout the scriptures. And so if you would allow me today, I want to do a bit of redemptive work on this word because it is a really important concept we need to understand in scripture. It's a big one. It's a big one. Now, when we hear prosperity, our minds immediately go to money. We see the guy in a three-piece suit on the television show and he's preaching his prosperity gospel and he's telling you if you give to his ministry, ha, you sow a $1,000 seed offering, ha, then the Lord's gonna bless you and give you buckets of cash and you'll have no more stress in your life and if you have enough faith, you might even have your own private jet. Right? We've all heard, it kind of makes you want to throw up when you hear it, right? Like, ah, I don't want to. And I hope you know that we are not that kind of church. Robin and I are not those pastors. This is not that kind of church. I don't think we have a private jet as far as I know. It's not parked out on some airfield in Daly City. Like, we, we're just not that group of people. In fact, let me just say this. This is not our ministry, okay? This is not our church. This is the church of Jesus Christ that he is building in San Francisco. And anything that has ever been sacrificed to the house, I consider that money very holy. We take the way we spend the resources around here very seriously. Ask our team members. I ask this question all the time. Do we need that or do we just want that? Is that something we have to buy or is that something that we just want to buy? And I always force them to run every purchase through this filter. There's a single mom in our community raising a couple of kids and she sacrificed to give to the house. And I never wanna have to show her a receipt for something we purchased and blush in the process. So how are we spending our money? It's important. <laughs> Furthermore, as I read through the scriptures, I don't see a gospel that propagates this idea that all of, uh, we're gonna, all gonna have buckets of money and no problems in life. Think about it. If following Jesus meant you had more money than you know what to do with, a house on a hill and no problems, everybody would want to be a Christian, right? Of course, we'd all sign up for that one. But the gospel I read in the New Testament says, deny yourself, take up your cross, lose your life, and then you can come and follow Jesus. It's a bit of a harder sell, for sure. <laughs> Yet, this word prosperity exists constantly throughout the scriptures. It's everywhere in the Bible. It is something that God speaks to us about consistently, and so we can't ignore it. Perhaps we just need to redefine what the scriptures speak to about prosperity. In fact, if you've, if you've uh, ever wondered what the word means scripturally, in the New Testament, it is the word yuadao. 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 And in the New Testament Greek, the definition of this word to prosper or prosperity means to grant a successful journey, to grant a success. And I love that definition. You know why I love that definition? Because it immediately forces us to reconsider our version of what prosperity looks like. It doesn't speak to some isolated area of life or a perpetual state of existence. What they're telling us here is that prosperity is a journey. It means it looks different from season to season in life. 
And it's not just about dollars and cents. It's success in any area of life, which might look different depending on your season. For example, maybe you have a marriage right now that's on the rocks. Prosperity looks like you staying together with your spouse and getting the help you need in that season without pursuing divorce. That's prosperity. Maybe you're in a season where you're struggling with addiction right now. Prosperity looks like going one more day without running to something to smoke or something to drink or something to look at on a bad website because you found your fulfillment in Jesus. That's prosperity. Maybe, maybe you, you struggle with depression or, or, or self-harm. Prosperity looks like choosing to live one more day, going to the counselor, opening up to a friend, sharing what's happening on the inside. That's prosperity. That's a successful journey. And yes, if it means money, then it might look different for everyone. Maybe you're in a season of abundance, but maybe you're not. And you can still be prosperous in a season when you're not by choosing to continue to honor God with the first and the best of your resources. So yeah, it can apply to money, but it doesn't always apply to money. It is to grant a successful journey along the way. It says of Joseph in the book of Genesis that while he was in the pit, he prospered. When he was in the prison cell, he prospered. When he was in slavery at Potiphar's house, the Lord caused him to prosper in all he did. The average person would look at a life like that and say, that's not prosperous. But he was able to prosper in every season, regardless of what it looked like. And the same is true of you and me. We have been made able to prosper in every season. In fact, it's a promise of scripture that you can prosper regardless of what your life looks like. Let, let me prove it to you. Uh, Psalm 1-3. Oh, the joys of those who delight in the law or the word of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They shall be like trees planted beside streams of water, bearing fruit in every season. Their leaves will never wither and they will prosper in all they do. Joshua 1.8, study the book of instruction continually, meditate on it day and night and obey what is written in it. Then God will make your way prosperous and you will have good success in all that you do. Deuteronomy 30, the Lord your God will then make you prosper in all you do. He will delight in you if you obey his voice and keep his commands and decrees written in this book of instruction. And if you turn to the Lord with all your heart and soul. Are you seeing the pattern here in scripture? You will prosper in all you do in every season, regardless of what life looks like right now, in good times and in difficult times, whether you're in victory or you're still fighting a battle, whether your kids are serving God right now or they're acting cray-cray, whether you live in a mansion in, in St. Francis or in a tent in the Tenderloin, whether the Democrats are in power or the Republicans are in power, you will prosper in all you do. It's a promise of the word of God to his people. I feel like you should have been more excited about that, but that's fine. We'll go for it. Every season. But, like all of the promises that we've been discussing in previous weeks, there appears to be a prerequisite involved, doesn't there? He says, you'll prosper in all you do if, and that if seems to revolve around this book. He says, if you will obey all the commands written in the scriptures, if you will Obey the instructions that you've been given. If you follow the Lord with all your heart and all your soul, then you will prosper in all you do. So the question then becomes, what is written in this book regarding our responsibility if we're going to have a successful journey? What do we need to do in order to be prosperous? Well, 
We could probably spend months looking at each of the individual scriptures that speak to prosperity and their nuanced application, but we ain't got time for that. And so I did all the hard work for you. You're welcome. And in studying this concept for the last couple of weeks, I've noticed a pattern in scripture, and that pattern really boils down to two, two general categories of responsibility for us as believers if we're going to walk in prosperity. I would identify those two buckets or those two categories as this. If we want to see prosperity released in our life, we need to focus on soul health and stewardship. Soul health and stewardship. Let's, let's start with the soul. Uh, the uh, Apostle John writes this in his third letter, 3 John chapter 1, verse 2. He says, I pray that you would prosper just as your soul prospers. Pray that you would prosper just as your soul prospers. You would have good success in your journey just as your soul is having good success. Now, now notice, oh, it's off the screen now, but hopefully you noticed. Uh, there was a, a word that we bolded and underlined. There are a couple of them, a conjunction, just as, just as. Uh, in, in the Greek, that is the word kathos, and it means this, to the degree of or in proportion to. We're gonna nerd out for just a minute, okay? I pray that you would prosper to the degree of, or in proportion to, the way that your soul is prospering. The, the, the former promise is contingent on the prior condition. If your soul is prospering, then your life can prosper. Are you following me? Okay, buckle up, because this is gonna get a little painful, all right? I think that phrase is one of the most inconvenient phrases in the entire Bible, just as. I, I say that because of the way that Jesus seems to use it time and time again in his teachings. I'll show you what I mean. Uh, he'll, he'll be talking to a group of people and he'll be like, how many of you want to be forgiven of your sins? I want to be forgiven of my sins. Yes, please. Okay. The Lord will forgive you of all of your sins, just as. Kathos to the degree of, in proportion to, the way that you are willing to forgive other people who've hurt you. Oh, okay. How many want the goodness of God released in your life? Okay. Do unto others, kathos, just as, in proportion to the way you want them to do to you. Oh, okay, okay. He even forces us to love in this manner. What does he say? Love other people just as, in the exact same way in proportion to the way that I have loved you, which sounds beautiful and poetic until you realize how Jesus loved you. Come on, some of you remember what you were like before Jesus? Some of you remember what you were like before the service this morning, okay? And how did Jesus love you? Unconditionally accepted you. You ain't gotta clean yourself up before you came to him. He said you could come as you are, broken as you may be. I'll wash your feet, I'll serve you selflessly, I will die on a cross and give my life for you. But now I'm gonna need you to go ahead and do that for somebody else. <laughs> Just as. Inconvenient. And prosperity falls into the same equation. He says, you will prosper 
in proportion to, to the degree in which your soul is currently prospering. If your soul is healthy, your life will prosper. Which makes me wonder, man, I can't help but think that maybe some of us are asking for bigger blessings than our soul qualifies for. Our soul is sick, but we're asking for healthy soul blessings. Uh, I've mentioned this before. Um, I have a background in real estate. And uh, back in 2004, when I got started in the real estate game, um, I was what's known in the business as a buyer's agent, which is really just a fancy way of saying rookie in the business. Uh, because everyone knows that no one will trust you to sell their property if you've never sold a property before. And so as the buyer's agent, they give you all the new people, the first time buyers that are equally as unfamiliar with the home buying process as you, so that if you mess things up, they won't know any better. So I was a buyer's agent for my first stint in real estate. And I distinctly remember driving all of these buyers around town looking for, for properties. And as we were doing so, I noticed a common trend among new buyers. And it was that it seems that all the first time buyers wanted to shop for properties they couldn't afford. Everyone wanted to look for a house that was outside of their affordability. Uh, I, when you wanna go buy a home, you go to a lender or to a bank and you get yourself pre-qualified. You hand them over all of your documentation and they look at all your financials and they, at the end they come back and they say, this is how much money you qualify for with a letter. Um, I used to explain it to my clients as a casa credit card. That's what I called it. Uh, tu tarjeta de credito para tu casa. Yes, thank you Duolingo. And I'd say, okay, essentially your lender has just handed you one of these. They've said, this is how much money you have to spend. This is your balance. You can buy anything you want. You don't have to spend all of it, but this is how much money you can go shopping with. And they'd nod their heads. Okay, I understand. And then without fail, the next morning, I would get an email with a list of properties that were far more expensive than the balance that they had on that credit card. It was frustrating. And their you know, logic was all the same. They're like, well, you're the agent. Your job is to go out and negotiate for us. You can do magic. Go ahead. You're a genie in a bottle. Make it happen for me, okay? So we go out shopping and... Inevitably, what would happen is after looking at all of these houses they can't afford, guess what? They would fall in love with the houses they can't afford. This is exactly what I was looking for. Then I would write the offers well below the asking price. And time and time again, someone who could actually afford the property ended up buying it instead of them. Eventually, these people would get frustrated. They'd, they'd get dismayed in the home buying process and they would throw in the towel and say, well, maybe buying a home is not for me. And they'd go back to renting as I ended up with a gas bill and a bunch of extra miles on my car after carting all of these new buyers around. Why? What happened? They were shopping beyond their budget. They didn't qualify for what they were hoping for. Are you following me? Come on, Remax is preaching the gospel to you right now, okay? I wonder if we got some believers that are asking for blessings beyond their budget. Some believers that are, are calling out to God for things that their soul just doesn't qualify for. They want influence and opportunity and leadership and the smoking hot spouse that loves Jesus, but they don't qualify for these things because they are not working on the condition of their soul. Their soul is unhealthy, and yet they're asking for blessings that are reserved for those with a healthy soul. And I'm not brazen enough to make an accusation to suggest that anyone in the room falls into that category, but maybe, just maybe, the prosperity you're contending for is found in looking at your soul's condition for a couple of moments. 
Maybe you gotta go back to the bank and see how your soul qualifies. So the next question, I guess, in this dialogue today is this. What does it look like to have a healthy soul? How do I know if my soul is healthy? Which is a pretty odd question. (laughs) It feels like a nebulous concept in and of itself. How do we even define the soul, much less determine its health? Like, who's to say whether my soul is healthy? You don't know my soul, it's on the inside. Like, how do we know? Well, I I think that some of that ambiguity is, is alleviated by looking once again at the definition of the word soul. And I know that we've done a lot of definitions today, and I apologize for that. I blame the English language and the translations of the Bible. These sermons would be half as long if we didn't have to do definitions, but we're going to go back once again and uh, look at the definition. This is Old and New Testament. The definition remains the same. The soul means this. It is the, the breath of life. The breath of life. The breath of God on the inside. It finds its origin back in Genesis chapter two, verse seven, when God creates Adam out of the dust of the earth. And after he forms him, he's a body. He's just a a, a lifeless figure, a bag of bones. But then it says that the Lord breathed into Adam's nostrils. The breath of God entered the lungs of Adam and he was no longer a lifeless figure. He now had a soul. Something was alive on the inside of him. And at the risk of oversimplifying a very complicated concept, I think that is what it looks like to have a healthy soul. It is to be alive and breathing on the inside. You could be a bag of bones on the outside. You might have a physical body and a life to speak of, but is there something living on the inside of you right now? Think about the breath. What do you do? You inhale. You take in. Are you taking in and breathing in the word of God and the presence of God and the love of God and the forgiveness of God? Are you responding when the Holy Spirit convicts your heart and says, you got to knock that off or I need you to go this direction or, or, or pursue this thing? I'm not saying you're perfect, but I'm saying there's a, an acknowledgement that something is happening on the inside of me that I cannot deny. The Holy Spirit is working on me from the inside out. But it doesn't end there, does it? Because breathing doesn't end there. Try to just inhale and see what happens. Eventually, you're going to (laughs) die. No, you also need to. There needs to be a release. There needs to be an exhale. The soul doesn't just take in. The soul also breathes out the goodness of God. The psalmist writes in 150th chapter and third verse, let everything that has a soul, let everything that has breath, praise the Lord. We exhale through worship. We exhale with songs of praise like we did just a moment ago. We exhale with love and service to other people in our world. It is doing good deeds so that your light may shine among men. We have freely received and now we freely, we give the goodness of God in the world around us. I know it's the soul is a nebulous concept, but that's simple. It's what it looks like to have a healthy soul. Are we breathing in the goodness of God? And are we exhaling that goodness to the world around us? Is there something living on the inside? And and so to that end, I, I pose a question that the author of a New York Times bestseller book, Pastor Judah Smith wrote, and here it is. How's your soul? How's your soul? Honestly, not do you go to church, not do you know the words to that song, 
Shout Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets. Is the Holy Spirit working on the inside of you? Monday through Saturday, are you taking in his life and seeing it exercised on a daily basis? Because your prosperity, the success of your journey depends on that life. But it doesn't stop with soul health. As I said, there is a second category we also need to be aware of. In addition to soul health, the responsibility of the believer is also stewardship. It's stewardship. Now, that's probably not a word you use in your day-to-day conversations, um, but a simple definition for it is this. Stewardship is being faithful with what you have. Not complicated. Being faithful with what you have. Uh, The principle of stewardship is a major theme all throughout the scriptures. And the reason it's a major theme in the scriptures is because it is a major theme and a major characteristic of the Jewish life. Uh, If you were to study Jewish culture, uh, even those that don't believe in Yahweh, don't believe in Jesus, uh, there is a a built-in understanding in Jewish culture that all of life is to be stewarded. The, The Jewish mind recognizes that everything they have Everything that we've, we've been given is on loan from God, and our job is to steward all of that for his purposes. The, the catchphrase is, we are owners of nothing but managers of everything. They live with an open hand. Everything God has given to me has been entrusted to me for his purposes. So I might be gifted, but it ain't my gifting. It's not my talents. They're his, and they're to be used for his purposes. It's not my money, it's his money. And so it's to be used for his purposes. They're not the plans that I have for my life or the plans that I have for my future. Jeremiah 29, 11 does not say, behold the plans that you have for yourself. <laughs> he don't care about the plans you have for yourself. Behold the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. It are plans to prosper you, but if you do, the things that I've asked, it's all to be stewarded. The, the general understanding of the Jewish belief is that the entire earth belongs to God. Every opportunity, every open door, all the cattle on a thousand hills, that's his wife, that's a weird thing to say, they're his kids, it's his everything. And it's all to be stewarded. So it matters what I do with the things that God has entrusted to me. It matters. Furthermore, if I want God to further entrust things to me, then I need to be faithful with the things that he has already given to me. Let me say it like this. Tomorrow's prosperity is contingent on today's faithfulness. And Jesus, being a Jewish man, he begins to discuss this subject at length through a parable. A parable is simply a fictional story that displays a spiritual truth. And Jesus begins to tap into this issue of stewardship in Matthew 25, which is where we're going to spend the rest of our time today. But uh, he says this starting in verse 14. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and he entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two to the other, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received five bags of silver began to invest the money in cryptocurrency and earned five more. It's my translate. Actually, he earned five more, then he lost 17 of them, then it came back and eventually he settled, okay? Uh, The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master returned from his trip and he called them to give an account of how they had used whose money? His 
his money. Jesus goes on to detail how the two gentlemen who uh, invested wisely and multiplied their resources came back to him and showed him what they had done. And as a result of their faithfulness, he looks at them and he says, well done, good and faithful servants. You've been faithful with the little that I entrusted to you. So now I'm going to cause you to prosper. I will give you even more than you had before. But to the one dude who buried the money he received in his backyard, Look at what Jesus says, the master said to him. He said, why didn't you deposit my money in Chase? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he, actually, there's no interest to Chase. That's fine. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. To those who are faithful with what they've been given, even more will be entrusted to them and they will have an abundance. But for those who do nothing with what they got, even the little they have will be taken away. Everybody say stewardship. This is how God does prosperity. This is his process. This is his modus operandi. This is how prosperity works. He doesn't ask, what are you looking for? What do you want me to give to you so that you can actually do something with the resources I'm giving to you in the future? He says, what do you got in your hand right now? What have I already entrusted to you? And as I look across the room, maybe there's people here today who would say, I don't feel like I've been entrusted with much. It doesn't matter. He gave each according to their ability. So it isn't about how much you have or how little you have. He's asking, what are you doing with what you have right now? Are you being faithful with what he's entrusted to you? And since he's asking the question, let me go ahead and do the same. But let me specify. What are you doing with your time right now? Those 24 hours that we've all been given in each day, how are you stewarding your time? How, how are you stewarding the gifting, the talents that God has, has given to you? Well, I just thought I was always naturally this way. No, God gave that to you. How are you stewarding those things? And yes, how are you stewarding your money? What are you doing with your resources? Let me further clarify the question. The master was not impressed with the fact that the servants were simply using that which he entrusted to them. No, success was defined as how they were using them for the master's benefit. So I'm not asking, hey, are you using your gifts and you know, going up the ladder in your corporate job and have you stashed a bunch of money away in retirement and you're secure and you're, you've handled your resources well? I don't really care about that and neither does Jesus. He's asking, what are you doing with what I've given you for the kingdom of God? How is what I've entrusted to you benefiting the kingdom, is it benefiting the master or are you the only one to benefit in that process? Ooh, it's getting quiet on a Sunday morning. And all my Gentile people in the room, let me remind you, this isn't just about the three T's either. Time, talent, treasure. It's not just about those things. Stewardship involves every area of your life. It touches everything. How are you stewarding your influence? How are you stewarding the leadership God's entrusted to you? How are you stewarding the opportunities he's given to you? How are you stewarding those 600 or 6,000 followers that you have on social media right now? Is it nonstop bathing suit selfies? Or are you telling them something about Jesus on your Instagram channel? <laughs> How about this? How are you stewarding your home right now? And I don't mean that proverbially, like your family, although that's important. I mean the physical structure of your house. How are you stewarding that right now? I remember um, 
when Robin and I found out we were pregnant, and, uh, well, we weren't pregnant. She was pregnant, <laughs> just to be clear. <laughs> so many thoughts in my head right now. Moving on. Uh, we were praying that God would, would give us a, a, a larger home to raise a family in a safe area in our city at the time, somewhere close to our parents where they could watch the grandkids and we could still have a life. Um, <laughs> overshare. And uh, I remember as we're praying for this, this new home, um, one day in prayer, the Holy Spirit came to me and he said, I hear what you're asking for, but let me ask you, how are you stewarding the house I've already given to you right now? How are you using the space that I gave to you as a gift already? Are you using that for my purposes? It was convicting. And we made a decision that from then on, any space that God entrusted to us, we were gonna use for the purpose of ministry. It was his house, not ours, and we were gonna use it to benefit the kingdom. And can I tell you, for the last 15 years in ministry, multiple nights throughout the week, every single week there are people in our home we are ministering to, we're praying with, we're walking with, we've used our space well. So much so that my daughters get depressed when nobody comes over to the house to hang out after a couple of days. I remember like when we first moved to the city, the daily question we were asked, who's coming over tonight for dinner? And we're like, oh no, it's a family night. And they're like, ew, gross. I don't want to hang out with you. Who else is coming over? It's the family of God. Dad, everybody's a part of the family. But, but they've grown up in this environment where they've seen us using the home as a place of ministry. And, and I, I can't tell you how many weird open doors have taken place for us in the area of real estate. We found ourselves in homes we should not be in, neighborhoods we don't belong in, why? Because we've been faithful to use what God has given us, as little or as large as it is, for his kingdom purposes. And can I tell you, I think that is the reason that God is going to give us the building we're sitting in right now. Why? Because we've been a good steward of this space for the last four and a half years. It may not be our name on the front door, but we've treated this building like it's ours. We've cleaned it like it's ours. We've prayed over it like it's ours. We've anointed it with oil, and they don't know about that, so don't tell them. We've anointed it with oil like it's ours. And we have stewarded this space for four and a half years to be a gathering place for the broken and those desperately in need of Jesus. And every single week, people give their life to him and they're baptized in water and marriages are put back together and lives are restored and the addicted are set free. Why? Because we've stewarded this rented space for his glory. And if we will be faithful with what he's given us today, I believe that he will open up the door for us to have the ownership keys in the future. Faithful. How are you stewarding what you already have? Are you using it for his glory? And don't, don't discount anything in your life and say, oh, it's not enough. Man, the, the guys in the story didn't, you only gave me two bags, you gave that guy five. What the heck? <laughs> You're not responsible for his five. You're responsible for the two that are in your hand right now. What are you doing with what you got? And as you consider that question, let me mention one more thought before we conclude today. As we look at this, this parable from Jesus, let us not forget that, yes, while this is a principle that we need to apply to our natural life, it's so much bigger than the day-to-day -day here on earth. Jesus is not just talking about the days that we spend with his breath in our lungs. Ultimately, this story is pointing to true prosperity. 
And true prosperity is about eternity. Come back again to our text. And, and with that, I'll invite the worship team to come as we conclude. But let's read this section one more time. Matthew 25, verse 14. It says, The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five to one, two to the other, one to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. Then he left on his trip. So, so Jesus says, my kingdom is like a guy who, who gave everything he had to some people and trusted it all to them and said, now I want you to do something with this while I'm gone. I'm gonna go away for a bit. I'm gonna go away on a long trip, it says. But he promises I'm coming back. And when I come back, we're gonna have a conversation about how you used what I gave to you. Who is this man in the story? It's Jesus. He is the one who came with all the riches of heaven, gathered together some people and said, I'm leaving everything I have with you. I'm giving you my spirit. I'm giving you my authority. I'm giving you salvation and forgiveness of sins freely. I'm giving all that I have to you, but I'm not giving it to you so that it would end with you. I'm giving it to you so that you can use it for my purposes while I'm gone. And rest assured, there will be a day that I come back and we'll have a conversation about how you stewarded those things. Let us not forget there will be a day, as it says in Revelation, where the clouds will split and the trumpets will sound and our Savior will come riding in on a white horse with fire in his eyes and a robe dipped in blood and he will gather together his bride. All of us will be there. You're gonna be there. You're gonna be there. I think you're gonna be there. You're gonna be there. We're all gonna be there. And we will stand face to face with our Savior. And he'll look you in your eyes and he'll look me in my eyes and he'll say, what did you do with that salvation? What did you do with the forgiveness I offered to you? Friends, this is the end of our journey. Are you a da'o? At that point, it does not matter how much success you had in your journey of life here on earth. None of it follows you into eternity. At that moment, the only success and the only prosperity that matters is that which you'll step into for eternity. We will stand face to face and give an account for our lives. And I cannot speak for you, but I will speak for myself. I am holding out for the coveted words of the first two servants. I'm living for a day where I stand my Savior face to face. And he looks at me and he says, Tim, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with the family that I gave you. You were faithful with the resources that I gave you. You were faithful with the gifts that I gave you. Enter into the joy set before you, my son, because you did exactly what I wanted you to do with your life. And so until that day, I'm gonna breathe in the goodness of God. I'm gonna exhale the goodness of God to the world around me. And I'm gonna leverage every single thing that God has placed in my hand for the purpose of extending the borders of his kingdom because I wanna hear him say, well done. And I would venture that 
If you have the Spirit of God on the inside of you, you're longing for a similar affirmation in eternity. How do we get there? Let's work on our souls. Let's make sure our souls are healthy. Do not settle for the religious rut of coming to church and singing songs and doing religious things while you got a sick soul. Let's get our souls healthy. And let's look at what we've been given. Take everything in our hands and let's build the kingdom together. Amen. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.